0: From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome.
1: Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed.
2: Hi, this is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience.
3: You know, the Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank
4: you. And so we're live. It's so weird to, to not like have the music or anything else going on right now. Yeah. Hey, we're, uh, this is the Atheist Experience. We're live from Austin, Texas, from the Atheist Community of Austin's Free Thought Library, where, where there's books. You, you can even see the books. <laughs> and I think somebody actually posted a video tour. I'm your host, Matt Delaney. joining me this week, John Iacoletti. Welcome. Howdy, thank you. How are you? I'm doing alright. Doing alright. Yeah. Getting good grades. Future's so bright, you gotta wear we're shades. shades yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's Song Lyric Week, I'm sure. <laughs> um, hopefully there'll be a caller that will let me dig into some other call lyrics as well uh this is a live show out of austin texas where we uh, interact with callers you can contact the show via skype you'll see right down there it says skype the atheist experience all one world word no spaces don't call but send a message and you'll talk to the call screener and then we'll uh interact and and start setting up calls. We got one caller waiting, but uh you had a story that you wanted to kind of get to.
2: Yeah, just a little quick thing. We got a one of our viewers sent this in, Milton sent this in. It's uh dear Abby from last week last Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I was just glancing through it and I thought this isn't what I would expect dear Abby to to respond. Uh I thought it was kind of cool actually. Uh, Dear Abby's now written by the daughter of the original Dear Abby, who right. passed away some years ago.
4: Maybe that's why this isn't what we would have expected.
2: Yeah, that could be. Um, but anyway, uh, Dear Abby, I am a 16-year-old girl who doesn't believe in God. All my friends are firm believers in Christianity and attend Bible study or help out with other things at their church. My parents and brothers don't believe in God. When I say I'd like to be a Christian, my brothers make fun of me. When they do, it makes me feel ashamed of myself. I want to be a Christian because it would be nice to feel like I belong, and most Christians aren't accepting of atheists, especially other girls my age. They might be polite, but they're distant. It also doesn't help that the boy I like comes from a religious family. What should I do? Uh, Signed, Outsider in Alabama. Abby says, Dear Outsider, I think you should continue being true to the person you really are. Let me point out that if you're feeling isolated now, consider what a fraud you would feel like if you joined a religion and must pray to a deity you don't believe in in order to fit in. You should explore what non-sectarian activities are available in your community. If the boy you like cares about you, he will like you even if you aren't religious, and you will have your self-respect. It's not easy feeling different, but sometimes it's worth it.
4: And I think that's great. I mean, there's probably some subtleties where we uh, may you know, disagree on some fine points or whatever. Uh, but curiously, we've got a, a caller. Let's go ahead and and cue Miriam up while we're talking about this because she wants to talk about pretty much the exact same thing. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, if there is a God, uh, he clearly pointed John to that and had Miriam call just in time for us to discuss this. (laughs) And I've, you know, given, we've, we've had this kind of question before, you know, should I come out? Um, should I pretend? Um, it's, it's going to be different in each case as to what the right move is going to be or the best move is going to be. Are you there, Miriam?
0: Yeah. Hey, how you Hi. doing? Hi. Hi. First of all, I want to say uh, good job uh, outsmarting Brian Brushwood on that that scam school math puzzle.
4: Oh, has that been posted? I hadn't, I didn't yeah. know. Was, oh, I, so yeah, Brian, Brian's here in Austin, by the way. Now that I can promote stuff, I'll be happy to promote Scam School, uh, with, with my friend Brian Brushwood, uh, social engineering, uh, at the bar. And, uh, I, I hadn't, I've done several episodes with him on different things. And of course he has fooled the pants off me. Uh, <laughs> so it was good to have a math kind of puzzle that I could sort through. So I'm glad that was posted.
0: Anyway. I am a singer, and I've been told several times that my best my best shot at finding uh, stable careers is church jobs. And, of mm-hmm. course, I have a problem with that as an atheist. And, like, what if I have to, you know, represent the church that I would work at in something and um, and have to, you know, fake being a believer for I don't know how long – so I'm not trying to, like, replace uh, the people I'm close to with it, with a, a oh my of guys, so if that makes any sense. But I just want to know, do you know anybody who's been in that position? They don't have to be uh, performers, but just yeah. anybody. I know you've worked with people from the Clergy Project and right. stuff. And do you, uh, like, what advice would you give or um, what advice
4: to be heard from them. Yeah, we can start by pointing out the the clergy project. If you do a Google search for it, basically it is an anonymous uh, web forum for clergy members who are non-believers, who are stuck in their positions, stuck in the pulpit, stuck in their music ministry, whatever the case may be. Um, I know uh, several members. I've you know managed to counsel a couple of them on the phone. Um, and I, I think it's a great project because... Some of these people get stuck. They have no way out. They have no idea what they're going to do. They don't have a skill set that applies outside of the church, and yet they've got families to take care of. And um, So there's there's a lot of discussion there about, you know, should I keep pretending? How long do I keep pretending? How do I find my way out of this? Uh, And the good news is that many people do find their way out. I also know some people who work for churches in uh, technical capacities. I'll get emails from atheists who say, you know, Uh, I'm, a a sound engineer Mm -hmm. and I've been working for this church or several churches. You know, I set up their sound equipment and occasionally I'll show up on Sundays to, or for special events and run it. Um, some of them are open about the fact that they're non-believers and some churches are okay with this. I mean, they're bringing you in for a job. You have the expertise that they need. Uh, and some of them will probably look at it as a chance to, you know, we should have, uh, allow a non-believer to come in and do this because they're going to get to see our, our passion play and interact with our people and maybe we'll be able to win them over. And so it may not be a problem. Uh, I didn't even think of that. I, I, I'm a big fan of being honest about who you are provided you're comfortable with it. I'm also generally opposed to, you know, lying just for the sake of, you know, having a job or keeping a job. But if you don't have an opportunity for a job, and you're good yeah at it. Um, I, I think I if I were you if you're in a position where you can kind of try and test out the field a bit um, talk to them and say you know I don't share your beliefs but I'd be you know happy to work with you provided I'm not doing it in a you know a ministerial capacity where I'm expected to you know talk to people or share the good news if you're looking for someone to sing and perform um, plus money from the church gets directed to godless heathens <laughs> I, I people will email Thanks. about advertisements on our YouTube videos and stuff, and they will say, "Oh, do you? How, how do you get this to stop?" Like they're they're putting God ads on your YouTube videos, and I'm like, "Let them, by all means, let them," because that money is directed away from the they're paying to advertise on our product essentially. Nice. So, uh, but when it comes to kind of what we were talking about with with the Dear Abby letter, interacting with friends and family, uh, you know, I, I'm still an advocate of honesty, but you have to make sure that you're willing to accept all the potential consequences. And yeah. I don't want to trivialize the fact that some people lose their, their family and their social network over this because their family just can't abide hanging out with a, a non-believer.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's different for me than for, like, for for the people who are coming from religious backgrounds. Cause I'm, I'm coming from, you know, a, a secular background, but uh, I wasn't, like, raised to be an atheist, but mm-hmm. I wasn't raised in any particular – I wasn't raised religiously. So it, I'm an out-and-proud atheist, and when somebody else I'll always tell them that it's, it's it would still be – it would just feel dishonest working for a church.
4: Yeah, and if, you know, by all means, if you're doing something that you're not comfortable with, um, maybe you shouldn't.
2: Uh, but I don't, I don't know, you know, your situation or what other options you've got. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it kind of depends on what you're doing and and what you're comfortable with. I, I've met a lot of musicians who who perform at churches, and they're they're professionals doing a job. They're playing music. Um, that's not necessarily endorsing the message of the church. Now, if you're singing, then you're you may be singing lyrics that you don't agree with or find objectionable. So that might be a different threshold there. Um, yeah. You know, as it turns out, really throughout history, artists and musicians have tended to do a lot of work for churches because that's who hired them. And, yeah, uh, and that's, that's who and had the money.
0: Christianity has has been the basis for so much art and stuff, and and of course, so has like Greek mythology and everything. Yeah,
4: that's what happens when you when you're yeah. the people who have the money uh, and the power. Right. Um, you get to build massive cathedrals and have them painted and pay people to come and sing and write wonderful music. I, I find it kind of interesting that you might be performing at a church and someone will be convinced that you're a believer because you sing so well and convey the message such that they f- they feel moved by it. <laughs> and then there's the opportunity to say, no, you know, I, I, I don't actually believe this. I'm I'm just singing it. Uh,
0: yeah, acting.
4: Yeah. Acting, yeah. And and by the way, I know a bunch of people who do uh, take their talents and do, you know, local theater or, you know, work for jingle companies. But yeah. there's uh, weddings will take places in churches all the time. And I know that the people who are or some of the people who are getting married, uh, don't care so much whether or not the person who's singing the secular song that they picked out t- to sing at their wedding is a believer or not. Not that I'm, you know, you should be a wedding singer, Miriam. What are you thinking? <laughs> uh,
5: yeah. So th-
0: thanks for, for your insight. I'm going to let you get to other callers. Yeah, we
4: can we can actually get to Caleb, whose name is on the screen while you're talking, which was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. but, all right. Thanks, Miriam. I appreciate it. Yeah, Bye. thanks. Thanks. So you were, you know, kind of raised Unitarian Universalist and stuff. Right. There's not as much conflict there I mean, I was never a big fan of UU things because it a lot of it seemed a little too wooey like they were trying to be something to everybody and that you know made any religious aspect uh, watered down, but also didn't emphasize uh, secular humanism as much and things like that. Did you were there discussions about people in situations like that or does it just not really show its head in UU environments?
2: It doesn't come up too much in UU churches because, like you said, there's kind of a wide variety of people believing different things, and they and they, you know, I was involved with the choir, mm-hmm. and we sang a lot of songs, but the unit the the UU hymnal is is very secularized, so they change all the kind of at least the overt God language they'll they'll change to something a little more um, generic, and and then there's the old joke that. You know how do you tell it's a Unitarian congregation? No, it's why do Unitarians sing so badly? It's because they're reading ahead to see if they agree with the words. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's there's some beautiful so- songs, hymns that are Christian hymns, and uh, you don't want to give up the beautiful hymns. So they the Unitarian hymnal changes some of the words around to make it a little more universal, and you get to sing the same old songs that people are used to and hopefully with updated words. So.
4: By the way, I don't know if we have any. I haven't uh, actually scoured every shelf in the library, uh, but I wouldn't mind having a variety of hymnals from different, specifically the, a Baptist hymnal, uh, because I'm always amused at the Baptist hymnal or all the Baptist hymnals I've seen. Uh, the last hymn or the last song is 666, and then it goes <laughs> into a bunch of you know call-and-response things, but the last actual song with music is uh, hymn number 666, which, That's interesting. which amuses me. But, hey, we got, uh, is it Caleb in Toronto?
3: Uh, yes, it's Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, hi, Caleb.
4: Hello? Great, awesome. Um, and uh, I'm
3: sorry, I feel like the one I was following along with on the computer might have been a different show. Is this Matt and John who's on right now? Yes. yes. Okay, hi, guys. <laughs> uh, awesome to talk to you. This is actually my first time calling into anything. Um I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you guys for everything that you do. Oh, thanks. Um, I've only been watching the show maybe for about three or four months, but I've probably watched everything that you guys have done for the last three or four years at least, Um, and also probably every debate that Matt's done. So um, I just wanted to say you know, that stuff has been a big help, and uh, I wanted to thank you a lot for that.
2: Glad to hear it.
4: Cool.
3: Um, So I, I take it you guys have a little bit of an inkling as to the reason that I'm calling today?
4: They put a note on the call screening thing, married to a hardline Christian advice on counter indoctrination for kids.
3: Yes, that's the main uh, the main issue that I'm calling about. Um, so I'll, I'll try to make it really brief. Um, I've had a, a bit of an experience with my run-ins with religion that goes back for quite a while. I've actually always been an atheist myself. Um, but even before my, my current wife, uh, you know, I was dating somebody who actually got converted to being a Jehovah's Witness. And I, I I ended up studying with them for about a year and a half, going to like three or four meetings a week just mm-hmm. because I I cared about this girl and I wanted to figure out what it was all about. Sure. Um, needless to say, I figured out that it was insane, and um, well, that was the end of that. Um, and, you know, and then I, I met my now wife. Um, we've been together about seven years, and uh, about two or three years ago, she kind of made a group of friends who happened to be some, uh, some fundamentalists themselves. And for whatever reason, she just kind of ate it right up. And I mean, like, it's probably like the fastest conversion I've ever seen. She went from kind of not really knowing where she stood on anything to just like being part of the worship group and, uh, you know, attending like multiple Bible studies a week, going to meetings every weekend. And um, over the last year and a half, it's taken like a really serious turn into like, um, I guess some of the more delusional types of beliefs, you know, like the uh, the young earth creationism and a lot of the like crazy crackpot conspiracy stuff that we see online, you know, these like global satanic control networks and all of this stuff. And um, I've got uh, a six-year-old son. He's just turned six and a three-year-old daughter. And uh, this past year, she decided not to even um, put our son in school. She basically pulled him from school and she's been doing the homeschooling and, you know, um, I don't see what goes on because I, you know every single day because I'm at work. But when I come back, you know, it, it's just um, I, I get I get these these vibes that are just not really good. You know, he he's six years old already, and he's just out there proselytizing to like every single person that he meets, and you know, invoking like faith healing and stuff. And you know, he's only he's only six years old, so it's got me a little worried. Um, wow. I'm I'm just trying to get some advice on how to deal with this. How, you know,
4: how how is a six-year-old invoking faith healing? Well, he believes he's invoking
3: faith healing. Of course he's not. <laughs> but, but, um yeah, I mean, he'll... So let me see. Uh, I come home with a headache, and I say I've got a headache. And he'll come over, and he'll lay his hands on me, and he'll try to, you know, get Jesus to heal me by sure. invoking the power of Jesus. And, you know, sincerely believing that my headache's going to go away. And if it does go away, he believes it's because Jesus made my headache go away.
4: What What's he um, believe when it doesn't go away?
3: Uh Well, so, you know, I, I try to use that... uh you know, epistemology to, to get to the root of that as whether or not it's a, you know, a solid foundation for a belief. And I'll, I'll ask him questions about that. Like, I'll, I'll be like, well, how do you know it was Jesus? Um, how do you know my headache didn't just go away because of the Tylenol that I took? <laughs> and most of, most of the time when I get to those things, he's, he'll just revert to, you know, because mommy said so, because, because mommy
4: said it was Jesus. And, yeah.
3: you know, I believe, I believe what mommy says kind of thing.
4: Yeah. Uh- <sighs> So there's a number of things about this that uh, disturb and even somewhat terrify me. Um, <laughs> that not makes the, two of us. Not the least of which is, you know, if your kids come to you saying they believe it because mommy says so, why don't they believe that it's not the case because daddy says so? Now, I, I'm not saying that they should believe either of you merely on your word, but the fact that they are relying on one and not on the other. Um, and you're in a position where you can't say, "Well, I can't prove to you that Jesus didn't make my headache go away. I, I can't prove to you that it was just the Tylenol." It's. I think the most frequent answer I give to people when they start talking about, you know, how do what do we teach our kids, et cetera, is is encourage them, teach them how to think and not what to think, and encourage a spirit of of discovery and inquiry. But you're in a position where you and I apologize. There's, based on the information you've given me, there's no way to not be insulting. You have a spouse who is utterly unqualified to educate and is doing that, and you don't know what's going on except that the results that you see um, are, are, are terrifying in the sense that they are uh, unscientific. Uh, they are based on authority. They right. are not in, in conjunction with reality. Uh, yep. And I, I'd love to say, you know, in most cases, things get better. As kids, you know, get older, they kind of grow out of the utter reliance on authority. They, You can encourage them to think more uh, skeptically, uh, talk about, you know, how do we know this? How do we know that? It may take some time and things may get better. But if you've got a situation like yours where they're seemingly being... Uh, full on indoctrinated by one parent to ideas that is, that are only shared by one parent. I think you're gonna have to pretty much have a sit down with your spouse. And- oh,
3: trust, trust me. We, so, um, I, first of all, I wanna say thank you. I appreciate, uh, your very sincere attempt there to be tactful and not to, uh, to offend. Um, but yeah, I think I'm right there with you guys as regards uh, to this whole situation. I mean, I see it as abusive. I see it as as an abuse of the uh, the authority that that my wife has as a parent, as um you know as their as their mother, as being the um, at home caregiver because I'm the sole provider. The fact that she has more time with them um, and therefore can subject them to more of her own beliefs. You know, I've tried to be extremely respectful in the sense that I don't want to confuse the poor guy. I don't want to um, right. outright contradict everything that she says and, and try don't, to be like you don't really want to, militant about it.
4: And you don't want to create extra conflict where there's a battle between mommy and daddy over what you know kids are going to believe. The one thing to keep right. in, keep in mind, and I, I'm sure you've realized this, um, your wife's not trying to do harm. She's just trying to. Uh, she, she sincerely believes this and feels it's important to teach and share. So it's not that she's, uh, intending to be evil or intending to abuse or mislead. She's got the best intentions. And as we know, that's what the road to hell is paved with. Yes.
3: Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. You know, so I've tried to like have these sit downs, you know, after the kids are in bed and talk to her as like, you know, I'm, I'm your spouse. You know what I believe and I appreciate where you're coming from and how your beliefs compel you to, to do this, but like, you know, I implore you, can you please at least wait until he's old enough to reason for himself? Like, don't start this so early. Um, don't make it so overt and so relentless. Like, you know, give him some space. The, the way I try to do it is, cause he asked me, he asked me to pray. He asked why I don't go to church. He frequently asked me why I don't believe in God. And, um, and I tell him. Whenever he asks me, I tell him, but I don't do it in a militant way. I don't do it in an aggressive way. I, I try to just sit back and be very kind of, you know, relaxed and, and just explain to him why I believe the way I do or don't believe and, you know, and basically why you should believe anything. You know, and I actually use quotes from you, Matt, where you say the best time to believe in anything is immediately after you have a good reason to do so. And um, so I, I do, you know… I, I've been reading up on a, a lot of material and trying to find the best way to deal with this. Partly, I was hoping that, you know, as he gets older, he'll be more and more open to having deeper conversations where I can start to present um, stronger material, things about evolution and, um, and you know, and epistemology and, and how to arrive at conclusions and what, what is sound reasoning and what's not. Um, so par- I'm partially hoping that we'll get to that point, but I'm, I'm just also afraid that when it happens too early, Sometimes you can go past the point of no return, or it can be really hard. It can do damage, right? Yeah. Some damage that could, could last a whole lifetime, and I'm afraid of that. So um, I'm, I'm not quite sure where to go, I guess. Yeah, I
2: would, yeah. I, I would say that you're doing all the right things. If you and your wife were on the same page, um, you're right. It's, this should be between you and your wife, and the child shouldn't be put in the middle of it. But you also don't have to... Uh, just accommodate whatever your wife wants to do. Um, you're you're a parent just as much as she is. You need to decide together and compromise. And I, yeah. I guess you're the only one who can decide how much room there is for compromise. But if if her position is my way or the highway, um, you know that I guess I, I would feel very grim about the the future of your relationship and uh, your ability to co-parent. And, but, and I'm
4: thinking. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! Go ahead. I can tell you, my my suspicion right now of what I would do if I found myself in that position. Um, There would definitely be a conversation about compromise, um, about uh, making sure that we're you know if she's going to teach these sorts of things that we set aside time uh, to teach other things where we're going out and we're exploring museums and science in the real world and encouraging that. But the big thing is, my problem with homeschooling is that there's no oversight in most cases. Sometimes you can get a really good education homeschooled, and sometimes you can get a really good indoctrination and a terrible education homeschooling. I don't know what, uh, what curriculum she's actually using, but if I were you, I would get a hold of the standardized tests for the public school school year that your kids are in and only allow continued homeschooling if they continue mm. to perform well on the test, to show that they are at or beyond grade level on the things that they're supposed to, because if they're if she's skipping real education, math, yeah. science, history, uh, English, etc., in favor of you know the God stuff, uh, mm. that's what weekends are for. You know, you can yep. you can take them to Sunday school and try to educate the the, the proper learning out of them, but if they were my kids they'd be taking tests regularly to show that they are on or above grade level of expectations. And the second that they fall behind that homeschooling is fricking done.
3: Yeah. And that it's, it's really, you're yeah right there with you. Um, that's, that's what I do. You know, I bring them, I bring them to the museum on the weekends, you know, show them the dinosaurs, show them like, uh, replicas of the uh, Burgess shale and talk about like the origins of humanity. And, you know, uh, how we all share, all vertebrates share the same uh, DNA ancestry and these types of things. And although he's still too young to really understand it, I, f- I feel like seeing those bones and, and actually seeing that stuff um, goes a long way. And yeah, I already have the uh, the curriculum book for, I, I'm in Ontario right now and I got the curriculum and um, it's got tests in it and it's also got follow along stuff. And I told her, I was like, if you're going to do this, I want to see this book filled out, and I'm going to test him myself on the weekends yep. at the end of each section and make sure that he's passing. And I was actually surprised. On the last test, he, he had gotten an A-plus on everything. So, Outstanding. You know, it's not completely failing. It's just it's just that they, there's, there's this uh, religious um, delusion then, stuff that's getting I sandwiched will, in there.
4: I will retract my former statement <laughs> that she's un, unqualified and say <laughs> that uh, she may well be qualified to uh, to teach the nuts and bolts, but she is uh, she's definitely teaching some additional content that is suspect. So
2: yes, yeah, exactly. Well, and, you, and like Matt said, you might want to get a hold of tests that the the not just the one that's in the book that's the curriculum she's using because that test could be just as flawed. If if there are yeah. flaws in the in the material, the test could be flawed as well. So you may want to check them on a different standard, whichever one the the uh, Canadian government or the Ontario government, I'm not sure how your public schools work there. Yeah, I mean,
4: if, if they're, if she's teaching what's in th- these particular books that are supposed to be, uh, the grade level education, but they're supplied by, uh, people who are not keeping up with state standards and not keeping up with good standards, um, it, I, I'd, I'd use other tests to see where they are because one of the things that can happen is, uh, I, have, I have had relatives that homeschooled who were uh, brilliant. They were, you know, doctors and nurses and well educated, uh, and also fundamentalist Christians, and they homeschooled right up until about high school, and then they wanted their kids to go to a school where there was interaction with people beyond their siblings, um, mm-hmm. and in order to do that, in order to you, you just. I don't see any reason why your wife, no matter what she wants to teach, should be opposed to this idea, which is let's make sure that the kids are on target so that if we want to reintroduce them to public school for other reasons, we can. If we want to introduce them to a private school, they can get accepted. When it's time Mm -hmm. for them to go on to college, they don't uh, have problems of, oh, you, you were homeschooled and now you know this chunk of what you're supposed to know, but not this chunk over here. It's you know this is this is both of your responsibilities to make sure that that your kids are educated uh, and I, I I think you you've demonstrated that you you have the right goals that you're working toward this stuff. Um, it's probably just going to you know take some time, but also some conversations about compromise, about how much religious indoctrination is too much. I mean, why would God be bothered um, by cutting back a bit? And allowing them to discover this on their own rather than spoon feeding them whatever it is that mom happens to believe. Because I think most, I, I would have acknowledged when I was a believer that I could be wrong because I disagree with other believers. So there might be some other version of Christianity that could be more correct than what my current beliefs are. That's why they go to church. That's why they interact and have teaching. And if, if she's going to raise uh, little kids, four, five, six, seven, eight years old to just believe what she believes, she could be mistaken. And so, you know, uh, branch out beyond just what mommy thinks. Teach, awesome. them, teach them other religions. Um, I'm a fan, a huge fan, of comparative religions courses. I, I've said for years I don't think they should be electives. I think they should be mandatory in public schools uh, because I remember taking a comparative religions really? course and being confused at how everybody else could believe such crazy stuff, and yet my beliefs weren't crazy. How could all the rest of them get it wrong? And it's because I was thoroughly indoctrinated. Looking back on it years later, I have a completely different take on that. And I I saw people who have, and I see them every day, who only know the little pocket of religion that they've been taught since they were kids— they don't know anything about anybody else. It's the reason why people are fearful of anybody who's Muslim, whether they should be or not. We are we're we're xenophobic, and I think that the more we know about world religions, uh, and this is going to be terrifying to some believers, the less reasonable our own beliefs seem, and the more likely we are to be. Uh, it's one of the things that I think you you churches uh, got partially right is by getting people to see how other people believe, mm-hmm. you are less in love with your own ideas unless they really have good evidence behind them.
5: Mm.
4: Okay.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's always one of my favorite sort of tactics is the, the fact that, you know, there have been thousands of religions throughout history and uh, even religious people are atheists about all of them except one. Yeah. Um, so, a, yeah, and I think a that's, a, that's a really that... strong point.
4: What a coincidence that you just happened to be raised in the correct one. Yeah.
2: That's, yeah. that's
4: amazing. And so did everybody else, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Caleb, I, I, uh, I, I hope things work out well. Keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing. By the way, by all means, you know, contact us uh, again. Let us know how things are going. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I, I, by, don't panic, I guess is the big thing. Um, you don't need to be looking for a fight and you don't need to necessarily think, uh, that this is the end of the world because there's a lot of time to, to correct and you may have your perception of what's going on may be as skewed as anybody else's. So, you know, just keep caring for your kids, keep encouraging them and, uh, make sure that, you know, they're, they're meeting their requirements and, and you've got an eye on the, the long-term goal, which is making sure they get out in society with knowledge and skill sets that are going to serve them well.
3: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, guys. That's been very helpful, and, um, yeah, I appreciate everything.
2: Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. We'll, thanks. Uh,
4: take care.
2: We'll uh,
4: get Jennifer queued up, but, you know, it's – by the way, my wife recommended that everybody go take sex ed at a UU church.
2: Yeah, they have a, a good program, and the ones in the schools are so bad mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that your kids really need something more comprehensive, and especially down here. Now, there's some good programs up in – the Northwest and some other states, but down in Texas, particularly, it's I think they do more harm than good. Yeah, so there's a
4: lot of you know absence-only education stuff. And what was it? I, this the statistics on this are going to be old because I haven't had to reference this in a few years. But Lubbock, Texas, uh, where they had absence-only education, and absolutely nothing to do except to go out on the weekend and try to hook up had, like, the highest rates of teen pregnancy and STDs. Uh, You know, you can, as a parent, really care and love your kid and still do massive damage if you have bad ideas. Uh, The parents that were recently sentenced for uh, their child was sick, but they didn't take him to the hospital. They just prayed, and eventually their kid died, and they ended up getting sentenced. Uh, My friend J.T. Eberhard just pointed out many times, those parents didn't love their kid any less than anybody else is. They just had bad ideas about how the world the way the world worked. Right. And if you have those bad ideas and you act upon them, it doesn't mean that you are an evil monster trying to harm your kid. It just means that you're wrong and dangerously wrong. And if anything, that's that's where we need to correct. Yes, abstinence works. Abstinence only education does not work because we're weak, because people aren't going to stay abstinent. Uh, it's it's beyond absurd to think that teaching kids to just hey don't take your pants off uh, is going to convince them to actually not have
2: sex. Yeah, it doesn't work. Ne- neither <laughs> they, do the purity rings. They need the information as well as yeah. everything else to know it's, how to protect themselves. It's uh, a lot of this, you know, gets played up as uh, sort of
4: oh well, this is you know God's going to punish you. And it's very clear that even amongst fundamentalist Christians, who sincerely believe that God doesn't want them to have sex until they're married, uh, that this does not stop them. It didn't stop me. It didn't stop many other people in my family. It didn't stop most of the kids in my church. It didn't stop anybody that I really knew, except for a couple of people who were dead set, no sex, no sex, no sex, no sex. And what they did was they had no life, no life, no life in order to avoid that. And if we, and it's, there's much better ways of teaching, but let's get on to uh, Jennifer in Houston. Thanks for waiting. Hello. How Hi. you doing? I'm good. What you have?
1: Um, I'm sorry. There's a bit of an echo on my end, but I do have my stream off. Cool. Um, but I wanted to talk about um, my mother. Uh, it's I'm really lucky that my whole household are atheists. Um, my extended family aren't, but um, my mother. Is an atheist. My sister is too, even though she goes to a Catholic church, a Catholic school. But Mm -hmm. what I wanted to talk about is my mother doesn't believe in science. And it's a really weird thing because it's, it's not, it's, I'm trying not to get into the political stuff because I know you guys don't do that. Um, But she doesn't believe in climate change.
4: So, okay. When you say she doesn't believe in science, is it just specific things, or does she like reject science on the whole? Because I, she goes and sees a doctor, I'm assuming.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's specific things that go along with her political views, right? But the political views are usually backed by solely religious things.
4: Yeah. Okay. So no, this is this is not at all unusual. Um, yeah. People don't generally understand science. Um, they as soon as they get some misinformation about it. Uh, one of the most common attacks on science is that, well, science used to say this, and now it says this, so yep, yep. I can't re- rely on it. Um, and I think the, the best response to that is, that, first of all, science doesn't say this or this. It's scientists who make pronouncements based on their methods. And yes, it's true that in the past, scientists using good scientific methods have come to conclusions which we now know are wrong. How did we find out that those conclusions were wrong? We didn't find out they were wrong because of religion or political ideas. We found out they were wrong because people used more science. science. (laughs) The only thing that's ever disproved science is science, uh, or the finding of scientists is is more findings. Um, But, you know, going back to like David Hume where he says the wise person apportions their belief to the evidence, if You're letting your political ideologies get in the way of the actual science. It's like on on climate change. um, The verdict is in. Now, you can have all kinds of debates about whether or not it's, you know, anthropogenic, whether or not humans have much to do with it. uh, To what degree. Yeah. And and what, if anything, we can actually do about it. But, and whether or not it's permanent, whether or not, you know, we could be looking at something cyclical. Even if you know absolutely nothing about this, the fact that this is happening is now completely undeniable. I and mean, the people who are saying, no, this isn't happening, uh, either mean that they think it's going to fix itself or whatever. You can just look at pictures of the polar ice caps. You can look at the actual data. And the bulk of the scientific community and every major scientific organization has come out and said, yep, it's real.
1: And I've told her all this and I've tried to explain it and she knows – and it's so strange because she works with plants and she's worked with plants for 20-something years. And so she knows that the – where the plants now can live has changed. But she just – it. no matter what I say to her, it goes back to, well, oh, you're a liberal. You've been brainwashed, blah, 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 blah. And So so find
4: her some non-liberals.
1: I, it, it doesn't even matter what I show her. She is convinced it is a giant conspiracy.
2: What has convinced her that this...
1: Really right-wing conservative talking points that are really old.
2: People who aren't scientists have convinced her that... Yes. ...the science is, is wrong. So does she think... Now, I, I can
4: understand somebody... Because we're, we're stuck. We're stuck picking out which sources we're, we're willing to accept. I mean, this is inevitable. And so she's decided that she's going to rely on some sources that you think she shouldn't, and I would probably agree with you. Um, but, so I can see how somebody can get there. But when, if, if they, if they just stay there and are unwilling to look at new evidence, then the question to ask them is, why are you, why are you unwilling to look at this and why are you rejecting this evidence because do you think that there's a conspiracy among scientists to support some sort of liberal agenda because that's not the way science works the first person who comes along who says hey all of these climate scientists got it wrong here's the data for this they get a nobel prize it gets written you know this this is the way that things work science thrives on overturning established ideas within science
1: and she believes that exactly for everything else except for these few really radical views mm. which are pretty much solely politically based and it's not like I haven't said oh why don't you look at the other stuff I've tried to show her I've tried to show her from NASA I've tried to show um, great scientists talking about it in depth and her response is well why haven't you listened to the other side and she'll show me stuff sure. from like and I'll read it and I'm just like well I can show you why all this is wrong and she's like well I don't trust this source or that source or yes. this source even though they're reliable sources.
4: So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something that's gonna lead to something that uh, huh, none of us are gonna like, but it's reality. Does it matter what your mom believes? Is she gonna change the world?
1: Oh no, it doesn't. But the thing is, is we get along really well until she starts going down the. Oh, have you seen this article? Road. Yeah. Uh, and we live together, and so it's just it's really frustrating, and it yeah. really is putting a strain on our relationship more than it should yeah. like it makes no it. sense for political things to make us this upset with each other
4: i i have relatives who will post memes on the internet that are just like batshit crazy memes that are you know where snopes has debunked this and there's countless sites you know oh this is what's happening with halloween candy or whatever else uh and they're unwilling to accept any sort of correction uh or any information that contradicts it The one thing, you know, I care about what people believe, but if it's clear that I'm not going to be able to change somebody's mind, then I've kind of got to let that go. And so like with my mom, we don't discuss religious stuff anymore because it just gets in the way of actually having a relationship. And we both found ways to have conversations that don't go there. I
1: I don't know of any other solution. Oops, sorry.
4: No, I, I just, I don't know any other way to deal with it. OK, uh, because it may take somebody else or some other information um, or it may take, you know, right wing sources that are starting to you know come on board uh, to actually change your mind. I don't I don't know.
1: OK, because I've, I've told her before, like, I don't want to talk anything political with you because we just end up in a fight and it's only her I have this problem with. So normally, I'm level headed, cool. But with her, it's just it's very explosive. Yeah, it's because you, you care. She, yeah, and she keeps bringing it up, and I'm just like, I don't want to freaking talk about this, mom.
2: <laughs> yeah, at some point you have to choose your battles and uh, just say, I'm not going there. Uh, okay. Kind of nod and smile politely and change the subject because uh, I always say you can't you can't reason somebody into a position that wasn't arrived at through reason. And this is one of those cases I think where she's she's got her mind made up and. It doesn't matter what you show her.
1: Yeah, you're probably right.
2: The, the, now I'm I'm really, I guess bad
4: uh, in the sense that I, I hate giving up on people. Don't get me wrong; there are people on Twitter that I'm happy to block just because they demonstrate, in, you know, incredible stupidity and hatred and stuff that I j- j- just don't need in my life. Yes, I could probably have a conversation with them and convince them, you know, why they're wrong or why what they did was terrible or you know why they could have perhaps taken a different route. But I have more important things to do with my time than try to fix everybody everywhere. And so what I'll end up doing is just kind of blocking some of them. You can't do that. But what you can do is if, you're, if you really want to make your best shot at this, find out something she believes that is based on the same or similar information from the same or similar sources Because that way you can expose that, oh, she's willing to accept this source and this data, provided it agrees with her preconception, but rejects the same thing when it disagrees. So instead of focusing on uh, some of the specifics about climate change that she might reject, if the data that they're using um, points to other things, like the likelihood that you're going to have a better or worse winter where you live or that winter is starting later and she she can observe this and see it and accept it you can say mom this is based on the same data that you reject you know for with regard to climate change uh, that's about as good as i can probably get but it's going to take some work
1: uh, yeah it's going to take more but thank you and i know even if i said that she would go oh well the climate changes all the time it, it just Weather. So um, so she might be confusing
4: climate and weather. Uh, Weather changes all the time.
1: Yeah. And I've
4: tried to explain. She just... It... Just for my own amusement, is she she the type of person that's likely to say uh, on a a cold day... uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. So much for global warming. So much for global warming. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, then, Then I think probably is you could have a conversation about the difference between weather and climate. Um, and that might, and there's some good videos on, on YouTube that actually discuss the difference between weather and climate and how that, that sort of uh single data point anecdotal thing is, is absolute garbage. And I would imagine she would shrug it off as well. I wasn't being serious. I wasn't saying that just cause it was cold today to completely disproves it, but I don't know. I I, I do wish you luck. And uh, you know, like John said, you kind of of figure out how to pick your battles uh, but if you're going to do it, it might take a lot of work. You might, and you got to figure out whether or not you want to do all that work.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much.
4: Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. And uh, Jennifer's from Houston, and I think so. This week, I'm doing a debate uh, Wednesday, and um, just outside of Nashville, uh, with John Ferrer on whether or not a God exists. Then uh, next weekend, I'll be at the Florida Humanist Association Free Flow uh, Convention. Uh, and then I come home and then on the 14th, I think it is, I'll double check and you post it on Facebook. I'll be in Houston to do a debate on whether or not there's a soul. So mm-hmm. I'm, it, that's the debate that I'm most looking forward to and it'll be the, the final debate of the year and then I'll start planning next year. So maybe we'll, we'll see Jennifer in Houston. You're a busy guy. It's, it's just starting to tone down a little bit, but yeah, it's been an incredibly busy year. Um, I don't know which one you want to take. And actually, read them through. Um, let's go ahead and get uh, Zephyrm on two there in Frisco. But yeah, so it's been it's been a really busy year. Starting basically early March when I went to Australia for twenty days, and it's been going and going. Uh, I noticed my email inbox had seven thousand one hundred and some odd unread emails, and that was after you know replying to many in a,
2: in a week. So <clears throat> I don't know how you keep up. I don't. Really? I, get, I get most of the ones that come to the show, and I can't keep up with that. So yeah. I, I imagine you you get probably ten times as much.
4: I'll, uh, I'll archive those, and anything that was really important comes back. Luckily, there were very few times this year where something actually slipped through the cracks. And I was able to do quite a few debates, uh, a number of talks. But mostly I was able to go out to different groups and kind of meet people, um, encourage individuals to participate and volunteer with their local organizations, Uh, And to be out, you know, to be outspoken to the extent that they're comfortable with it. Because the the more people that you know who are atheists or who have uh, beliefs that are different from yours, uh, the less fearful you are. You know, when they find out the neighbor down at the end of the street who you've you've talked to about, you know, lawnmowers or whatever uh, is a godless heathen, uh, that changes your perception of both atheists and that neighbor and hopefully in a more positive sense
2: people are always glad it's like you too. Oh, I
4: thought I was the only one. That that has happened more times than I can count. But Saffron, thanks for waiting. How are you doing? Hello, good. You? Pretty
6: good. Thanks for letting me call in. I um can I ask my question? Sure, sure. I have a friend that I debate with every now and then just kind of in the hallways and talking informally, you know. And every time I do and I talk about what would convince him, he brings up that anything he believes – or that he believes all, inf- all evidence will only point towards the existence of God and the truth of his particular um, sect of Christianity. And I don't know how to respond to that because he um,
4: – So he's basically saying that there is no evidence that he thinks could possibly contradict his beliefs?
6: Yes. And every and time I try to bring time. something up – that um, discredits that belief, he will ignore
4: it. Yeah, then you're wasting your time attacking the belief directly. Instead, if you hope to have any conversation, you'll have to talk about um, the nature of evidence and why it is that he thinks every possible piece of evidence would support his. Because when when they get to the, to the point where they are able— to take anything you say and twist it so that it supports their their belief even if it very clearly contradicts it um you then have to have separate conversations you got to pull their doctrine entirely out of it and talk about okay setting aside your religion what would it take you to, to convince you that some other thing was true or that this was not true um and if worse comes to worse you can ask questions like okay if you ran into somebody who was, let's say, a Muslim, and they did what you did, and they said every piece of evidence possible would only confirm my belief, how would you react to that? You know, if they if they would told you that they think that every possible piece of evidence only confirms uh, their their beliefs in Allah and Islam, what would your response be to that? How would you view them?
6: And I think I brought something up like that similar to – um. To I think it was a conversation on whether or not you should be afraid of going to hell. Mm -hmm. And he said that to a Muslim, the concept that it's your fault if you go to hell is rational to them, and he believes that it is universally rational from the other perspective as well as from his.
4: So all all religions are right?
6: No, but that – All religions can say it's your fault if you're going to hell, even though only one of them could be right.
4: No, but they're they're not only talking about going to hell. They're talking about what one must do to avoid hell as well. And they're talking about the very character and nature of a god being, and they don't agree.
6: Exactly, and they all have different takes on it, but each one says this is how you get to hell, and if you don't understand – that, then you obviously are mistaken. And it's very, very clear because you just have to read the Bible or the Quran.
2: So how does he distinguish then what he believes from what they believe?
6: What's in the Bible and
4: what's not? I mean, it's just a matter of he's a Christian. Even if he just points to the Bible... He does realize that there's over a thousand denominations of Christianity that all point to the Bible and all disagree on every point of doctrine, including the process of salvation and and what's going to happen. There are people who believe in a literal hell, there are people who believe in annihilation, and they can all point to verses that support their beliefs. Um, Even if we were to concede that a God exists and that it is something remotely in the realm of the biblical God, how does he you know, determine that his beliefs on that God are correct where, and somebody else's aren't.
6: All right, thanks. I'll, I'll bring that up in conversation with him next time. Now, he's likely
4: to say that it's from revelation from God that he gets his information directly from the Holy Spirit. And when he when he points that out, ask him, don't you think those other people who you think are wrong would say exactly the same thing? And so if that's the case, then there is no outsider test to tell which of you is right at all. Everybody is just running around saying, I'm right, I cannot be wrong because God has revealed it to me. And that's exactly how we get to over a thousand denominations that claim the same book and label and yet disagree on the specifics. Thank you. Sure.
6: Can I, um, can I ask one more thing? Absolutely. Last week, I think, you did a debate in, um, in Canada, and I don't know where the other one was, right?
4: Yeah, one of them uh, was in Red Deer in Alberta, and the other debate was in San Diego.
6: Okay, thanks. Well, one of them you brought up MRI scans on the brain, and you said something about one place. Do you rem- do you know what I'm talking about?
4: Yeah, I believe I brought that up in Red Deer. I'll be bringing it up a lot more on the 14th in Houston. Can you um
6: can you talk about that, and can you post the source of it on um on the website?
4: After the, debate, really useful. after the debate about the existence of a soul in Houston, um, at some point, not only will I post the debate, but I'll also post a debate review where I go through uh, the details of what I presented, and then I'll put source material in that. So it'll be on my YouTube channel, which you can get, uh, youtube.com slash sansdeity, or patreon.com slash atheistdebates. Okay, thank you. But it'll be a little while. I, I probably, we're talking January before all that gets posted. All right. Thanks,
6: Ephraim. Thanks for having me call in. Sure. Thanks, Ephraim.
2: What about the guy who weighed the person right at the moment before death <laughs> and then the moment after death? Yeah, the seven or eight grams or so. <laughs> uh, yeah.
4: We'll be talking about that you for sure, can address too? that? Okay, cool. All right, so we got like five minutes or so left, but we, we might go a little over. Uh, we'll go ahead and get uh, Jamar and Buffalo queued up. Yeah, the MRI scans, there's a number of of different studies that have been done, and I couldn't possibly, you know, cite references here because I don't have my my notes. But um, there's a study that showed showed when you ask someone, what do you think, there's a portion of your brain which relates to what the self thinks. And when you say, what does John think, there's a portion that relates to some other being other than the self and what they think. And when you ask them, what does God think, the side for self
2: is what was active. interesting. And, you
4: know, there are... There are believers who would say, well, that's because, you know, God is in tune with you and not another. You are one with God. But it's all, you know, post hoc rationalizations when when the reality is this works independent of what somebody's religious beliefs are. And it seems that the more reasonable explanation is that God is something when you ask, what does God think? you're imagining, you are putting yourself in that position. So it's no surprise that God tends to agree with everybody who, who believes yeah. in him and how they end up in Yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah, my, my God and I, uh, we're like one mind. I completely agree. I, I, and I think the evidence supports that you and your God are of one mind, and it's it's your mind and no evidence for any external mind that you're actually
2: appealing to. Have they tried doing an MRI on an atheist and asked them what does God think? what
4: um, I don't know if that was in that study or not. I know they've done the uh, the God module testing and stuff, and some people have a more heightened sense of uh, the supernatural and things like that. I don't know, because if you asked me as an atheist, what does God think? I'm not going to have any reference. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a God. It would be like, you know, what does Voldemort think? Actually, I'd probably give a better answer for Voldemort. It would probably come from the other side uh, because I could reference it. So, yeah, I don't know. Jamar in Buffalo, thanks for waiting. Hey, thanks. So
5: so I listen to your show a lot, and I always hear you talk about how morality is objective, how you can just objectively say something is wrong. But um, I don't see how that – for a while I believed that, but I'm starting to doubt that a lot. Like, how can you objectively say something is wrong?
2: Sure. So, the
4: objectiveness is about evaluating the an act or the consequences of an action with with respect to a goal. You could say that the goals are not objective, um, that they're s- subjective, and that's fine. I have no problem with that um, because, in order, if morality is going to mean any anything, it has to relate to, as Sam Harris would say, well-being, or as I would say, something akin to well-being. It does no good to say, "Oh, morality is whatever I think it is, or whatever my society thinks it is." Because now you've defined it in a way that it could be anything. And so, what I think that we tend to be talking about when we talk about right and wrong, and whether something's moral or immoral, is we're we're using linguistic shortcuts. When the question we're really asking is, "Does this do uh, benefit us individually and as a species?" Or does this do harm for us? Does this does this increase our our um, existence and and our happiness and thriving and our general well being, or does it diminish those things?
2: If you look at the things,
4: if you look at the things that people specifically say, oh, this is moral or this is immoral, they're always about that. Okay, but in some cases, like you can think of anything. Not anything, you could think of a few cases where that can... Uh... Yeah, but see, okay, here, here's the point of confusion. And I, I apologize for interrupting you, but we're running short on time. Um, when you, as soon as you say in some cases, now we're talking about something different because I am absolutely a proponent of situational morality, that every situation is uh, different. When I say something, when I talk about objective morality, I'm not saying there is a universal objective moral absolute that applies to every single situation. I'm uh, saying within a given situation... There's a finite set of possible actions, and there's some set of one or more actions that represent the moral pinnacle for that situation, and okay. some set that represents, you know, moral uh, or immorality. Uh, so, like, if you if, if you and I are sitting here having a conversation, um, it it could be uh, it could be viewed as immoral for me to interrupt you, even if it's for clarification because we're short of time. It would definitely be immoral if I were just to uh, scream a bunch of offensive, nasty things at you, Um, and it would be more moral for me to, you know, value you as a person, have a conversation, and try to get to some understanding. All you need for moral evaluations is to be able to compare the consequences of of an action in a situation with other actions, hypotheticals. And because we're physical beings in a physical universe that has laws, you know, there is no physical law that says if I chop off John's head, that's good for him. In in every situation that we can conceive of, barring some, or, or virtually every situation, I'll say, cutting off John's head is not good for him. I would agree. So,
5: so like in uh, so how, if if your standard is is it's harmful to society or harmful to a person or whatever, yeah then how was like something not saying i agree with it but just for sake of argument um having se- consensual sex with children like say a 13 year old and a 25 year old decide to hook up and it's consensual how is that immoral
4: yeah so the thing is is that that 13 year old can't actually give consent because consent is a product of being adequately informed and comprehending the con- the cons- the uh, consequences of the action and so generally we would view 13 year olds and you know, we can go longer. Where we draw the line um, is somewhat arbitrary and we may not be doing it correctly. But just to say that you got consent, not all consent is equal. Simply getting someone to say yes to something doesn't mean that they have been adequately informed and were capable of reasonably giving consent. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's that's where that kind of scenario falls apart.
5: Okay, let's raise the age a little bit. Let's say you were 16 or 17, and the person was 25 that they're having sex with. Yeah. Still?
4: Well, it depends. So this is this is another thing where there's a situation there. I think it's entirely possible that a 16- or 17-year-old could give informed consent to have sex with someone who is over 18. Uh, and I don't really think that the ages make a lot of difference, but there are extenuating circumstances where the nature of the relationship beforehand could have an impact on this. For example, if you're in a parent or custodial role and you have essentially trained them and raised them and brainwashed them to give consent to something they might not otherwise, that could be immoral. Uh, So Uh, you have to consider all of the factors in there. Um, We're talking about age of consent. There's obviously considerable disagreement, and it's
2: changed over time. it, it, but it's, there's cases where it could be immoral even if they're both adults. Yeah. Like a, lot, a lot of cases. So it's, you know, we have to draw the line somewhere legally, but it's really, it's more circumstantial than... Yeah, that. here's
4: two 35-year-olds who are out and you got consent. Did you get consent? I mean, what, what are the situations? Can someone who's uh, intoxicated actually be considered to give consent? Are they uh, in their right mind? Are they able to make reasonable decisions? Uh, probably not If in most cases, uh, it, depending on how, you know, you know we're not just going to say, oh, somebody had a drink, so now they're incapable of reason. Right. But we know of situations where you can get air quotes consent, just in case you're not watching, which is not the same thing as consent. Um, so that's why the laws that we have about, we don't just legislate on the basis of morality, but when we do, they're a lot more complex and muddier than just simplistic things, which is why I was advocating for situational uh, morality. We went back to, is there an absolute with regard to you know, consent? And the answer is no, not a universal absolute.
5: So um, I know you don't have a lot of time left, but just really quick, I've been um, listening to a lot of Sam Harris. So he's been talking about uh, determinism and, it's starting to change my worldview a lot. So, And I've had a hard time um, squaring determinism with morality.
2: So
4: normally the, 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 the drawback for determinism with, for most people is what they think about free will. Um, yeah. uh I would recommend reading Dan Dennett. Um, and he's actually written a response to Sam Harris's article on free will, pointing out that Sam is essentially a determinist and he doesn't know it, or I mean, sorry, a compatibilist and doesn't know it. Um, but Dan has a really good book called uh, "Elbow Room: Varieties of Free Will Worth Wanting." Um, there are also plenty of people who don't think that you have free will, and Sam is in a in a position where he uh, rejects all notions of free will, and yet doesn't have a problem. With, uh, considering moral, uh, questions, even in the absence of free will. Because at the end of the day, if, if I don't have any free will, I mean, I, I don't think we have libertarian free will, and I'm generally a compatibilist, uh, which is kind of a redefinition of free will. But John and I are, are sitting here, and let's say neither one of us have free will. And I, and John decides to cut off my head. We'll, we'll flip the script so that I'm not always cutting off John's head. And neither one of us has free will. How does that change at all, how we view that situation? We can say, oh, John wasn't responsible, but he was. This meat sack here, whether it was predetermined or whether it was an act of volition, still killed another meat sack, which is something we actually care about. And so we're going to hold him accountable. So at the end of the day, whether or not we have free will doesn't change how we're going to view and act with regard to moral dilemmas.
5: Yeah, and Sam Harris, he went into depth about that. And I don't know, something about it just doesn't uh, doesn't make, not that it doesn't make sense, but I guess I'm just so used to uh, viewing the world in a certain way when I'm presented with that. I'm like, what? I'm not I'm not used to hearing this. It's just, strange stuff.
4: It's, huh? it's strange stuff when you live in a world where the bulk of people believe that not only do they have free will, but they probably have libertarian free will. And they've been educated on morals and educated on dealing with these situations from an entirely religious perspective, a culture that, that has been uh, soaked and steeped with religious traditions that don't yeah. actually map to reality. So there's a lot of thinking to do, but the things to ask, to ask yourself, if in fact you don't have free will, how does that change your life?
5: Um, I guess it wouldn't really just really drastically change the uh, way of view the world. Like, I guess. Yeah,
4: I think the like, big, uh, the biggest fear people have is that, oh no, if we if we find if people find out that they don't have free will, then there'll be mass chaos. Uh, that free no, will, free will that. is an illusion that we need to keep, and I don't think that that's the case for free will or for anything. Yeah. To the extent that there's something useful about viewing the world with respect to free will, um, I think that that still makes sense and exists whether we have it or not. Uh, because there's, there's, a, there's a difference, I think you and I and everybody would agree, that there's a difference between me standing up and walking outside of my own volition, whether it's a free will or not, and John dragging me outside. And the difference between those two things is what we're addressing. Whether anybody has anything called or like free will or not.
5: Yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird thing to think about when you're used to. Uh, I'm not religious, but I'm used to the religious idea of. Mm-hmm. I should not say religious
4: idea, but this idea of it's traditional free will. We just yeah.
5: uh, everything we do is by our own choice. We kill someone it's because we chose to do it. That's what our legal system is based off of—the notion that we make our own choices, not that we were predisposed to kill or rape someone. But you, you can change it.
4: You could you could change the way you think about it without changing anything else. Which is, this—I am a thinking agent. Whether or not I, all my actions are predetermined or not, I am this meat sack doing actions. Uh, it doesn't matter whether or not that was predetermined. The difference which is why I use that example of walking out versus being dragged out is whether or not what you would have done is violated by some coercion or action by other thinking agents. Now there's a lot of really good things that Sam goes into with regard to, uh, if we find out that there's uh, a brain defect, brain tumor. yeah, that makes yes. somebody, and then you get rid of the brain tumor. I would argue that that is now a different person, just like I'm a different person now than I was when I was 10 uh, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about statute of limitations. For for some crimes, it's like seven years. And the, the thought was, why should we have a statute of limitations? Why not, you know, if we found out you you stole that thing, why shouldn't we be able to prosecute you forever? I think one of those is that we have limited resources, so how many crimes are we going to go after? But the other is, I did things when I was in my teens and 20s um, that I should have gone to jail for had I been caught and the the recognition that i'm a different person now and the fear of that consequence is what has kept me from i have never repeated those acts at all and wouldn't and discourage other people so if you if i was now subjected to going to jail for whatever i did back then uh what good does that serve anybody it doesn't it doesn't serve anybody anything i should still be able to perhaps make restitution for things that i've done um but as far as you know criminal code and violations, there's there's reasons. We recognize that we change as people. And if you have got somebody who's a, a serial offender who isn't changing, who is continuing to do the things, well, then, you know, they're going to end up in jail eventually, hopefully.
5: Mm. But, well, I think that analogy falls apart in certain areas. Because I know the statute of limitations, at least in some states, for, like, rape is, like, really short, like maybe six years, something like that.
4: So the, the length of time is based, uh, in part, upon the severity of the uh, the incident and the uh, tenacity of uh, evidence. So, for example, murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. You know, right. you, you find the body of boom, you killed somebody. You're gonna, and that's not what I did, by the way. So, uh, I'm, I'm not everything that I did they didn't find the body. Yeah, no, everything that I've done you, didn't chop, some, you didn't
2: chop uh, somebody's head off, for example.
4: Anyway, Jamar, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to let you go, and we're going to cut out of here. As a reminder, right. uh, everybody involved in this, or most of the people involved in the show, are going to go to uh, Threadgills. They had the address up at the bottom of the screen a minute ago. Um, it's the one on Lamar, the older one, uh, around the corner from this. Uh, I'll be traveling for the next couple of weeks. Russell will be in-house. Um. I don't know. Do you have anything to add before we close out? No, I think that's it. All right. Thanks to all the callers and for people who hung on. And yes, as a reminder, we are working on telephony uh, solutions that will allow us to put a phone number up and get more theist calls back in because we're aware that, you know, we've had fewer. Just be patient. There's a, there's a, every time we've switched studios and switched numbers or anything else, there's been a period of time where there's a, a lull with theist callers. But you can also help out by finding theists and pastors and whoever you want, giving them information about the show, how to contact the show, when it's on. Um, They've got time. We're on at like 4.30. They've got their Sunday morning sermons, and then they've got a couple hours before they start the Sunday evening stuff. Surely they can give us a call and explain to us why they believe, why they think other people should believe, and uh, why we're just wrong. But we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.